At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. What's going on, everybody? I am Peter J. Kim. I'm the host of Counter Jam which is a new podcast on Food 52 that celebrates culture through two of what I think are life's greatest things, food and music. And I'm super excited to be here doing a live taping of this show. It's the first time we've done this. And we have a dynamite guest, Michelle Zahner, the Korean-American artist and mastermind behind the music project Japanese Breakfast, and of course, the author of Crying in H Mart. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on. It is so great to have you. Thank you for having me. Right on. And, you know, I was watching um, some of your newer music videos, uh, which are dope, by the way. Um, and I couldn't help but notice, obviously, like, I'm a food guy. So when I when food shows up anywhere, I always kind of, like, zero in on it. And I was watching the music video for Be Sweet and also for Posing in Bondage. And I noticed that a certain food makes <laughs> an appearance in both of those music videos. Instant ramen. And I wanted to ask, first of all, was that intentional? Um, we introduced the ramen in the Roadhead video um, from the Soft Sounds from Another Planet. So we kind of already ah. had this template. And uh, my cinematographer and I love an Easter egg. And I also found, you know, since I direct all my music videos that as an actor, which I would never describe myself as, uh, I feel really uncomfortable if I don't have something to do. Uh, with right, my right. body. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I always am trying to like concoct different ways to feel comfortable when I'm being filmed. And I also think because you have such a short amount of time to get a sense of character across, I, yeah. that that type of food is like such a quintessential kind of like slacker character food uh, to have <laughs> um, on screen. And so I, I think that that's sort of where that came from. But of course, I am a big um, chin cup fan and uh, will stand until I die. Well, I, I beg your pardon, but slacker food. Hey, look, I, I <laughs> like I think about 50 percent of the molecules in my body have come from instant noodles in one form <laughs> or the other. Um, so I have to ask. OK, so I'm, I'm, it's interesting you said chin cup. Um, so, yeah, I, my question for you is how do you rock your instant ramen, you know, favorite favorite brand and then how what, like how do you sort of dress it up um i definitely am a shin cup eater and uh but i i don't i think that shin ramen is like so genius that they had this mm. product that everyone like will buy forever but they're always advancing it in some ways like i think that it's really amazing that mm. they started making the noodles circular uh, yeah, yeah, so you yeah. can just put them in the pot because they were square before. And they didn't oh, have yeah. to do Genius. that. They were definitely, like, selling enough noodles. But it's just that they care. 
Uh, so they, <laughs> they're still innovating, which is really uh, respectable in my opinion. But I, I, I'll cook um, shin, shin ramyun in like the, you know, like that tin Korean pot that heats up mm. really fast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, uh, crack an egg at like the last minute um, and have to have um, like really tart chonggak kimchi uh, on the side. Oh, uh, yes. But I also in later in the last couple of years, I can't really eat it anymore because, to be honest, um, my stomach can't. I love spicy food, but my stomach really does not. And uh, but I do really like the puldak bokumyeon, like the samyang noodles. The fire. Oh, that's like the spicy. So, it gets, like, yeah, like the two times spicy noodles that like all the mukbang people eat with yeah. a slice of Kraft American cheese. Oh, it, yeah. It is so good, um, but it hurts me so badly that I yeah. really can't eat it unless I have nothing to do the next day. <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all, I want to say I love that you call that the circular noodle cake. And it's true that <laughs> To me, that's like the little hug that Shin gives you every time you open up the package. It's like, look, we know you. You don't have a square pot. You've got a circular one. And we made a circular noodle cake just for you. Yeah. They're like, you know, life is hard enough. And we want to make it as easy as possible for you. I mean, we've all been there where you have that square <laughs> noodle cake and the circle pot. And it sits on top of the pot. And you're just like, fuck. You know, you just <laughs> wanted to go in, but it won't because it's just like... Just those corners need to be shaved off. Um, are there <laughs> are there any other ways that you like to like sort of tweak your your instant ramen? Uh, those are like the two main ways. I feel like I don't get too creative because I'm usually eating this type of thing like really late at night when I shouldn't yeah, be, yeah. or um, when I'm like really hungover and I've woken up at like six o'clock in the morning, just really dehydrated and starving, and my yeah. body's just like, please put something inside of you to like soak up whatever you did to me the night yeah. before. Um, so that's pretty much, those are my, my two staples. May I suggest you try two different little twists here that are oh, so please. easy. Oh, please, bring it on. I mean, it, it will like up your instant ramen game. So first, tahini. Like ew. in the beginning stage, <laughs> when, what? Did you say ew? What the hell? <laughs> okay. What kind of like, Pause. what kind Tell of like, what, you know, what is bougie? Tahini? It's like a sesame paste. Yeah, it's I just guess sesame that's seeds. fair. Yeah. So, but I wouldn't put that in my ramen either. So, well, I, I want you to try it before you knock okay. it too hard. Okay. Because if you put it at the beginning, like and hummus, you give it a nice stir with your chopsticks. Hummus ramen. <laughs> no. <laughs> Think about look. You've had those ramen ramens where it's like it's got that like really like creamy sesame broth to it, right? Mm, this kind of yeah. takes it a step in that direction where you have, especially if you get the tahini like mixed into the broth, it gets to this like creamy sesame thing and it's really good. Just trust me. Okay. Um, what, what's the ratio here? It's like one package. A good dollop. A good a dollop. dollop. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the a beginning or like at the end? Definitely at the beginning. It has to be at the beginning because if you do it at the end, you'll end up with a guap of tahini that's not mixed in in any way. You have to do it before the noodles are in. Okay. While I will the say water's simmering hard. this is like an upscale version of like I feel like there are bros in college that are like oh no you gotta just put like a dollop of peanut butter in it it like makes it this is like an upscale version of that you know like those like crusty punks that do that <laughs> your bar are for like upscale, looking for sustenance say, your anyone. bar for upscale with all due respect is it's it's low. tahini. <laughs> okay <laughs> all right I can respect that I can respect that I'm um, a musician my expectations right. are very low in life <laughs> okay let me give you a second idea that's even easier just take a knob of butter and drop it at the very end. okay that's legit 
Like I like that. Straight up, like it just makes this like. I do I that with know, my chicken like, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Butter. Just it's it's really good on your shin ramen, and it just. Oh, it's like coat your lips. It's so good. Um, as I just feel like the one thing that shin ramen's kind of missing is some fat in the broth, and they just because they haven't like figured out a good way to powder fat, and so um, <laughs> there you go. Um, but before we go too far into talking about food, I actually wanted to play a song of yours, um, which is off your upcoming album. Oh, it's already out. Actually, I just listened to the whole thing, so it is already out. Jubilee. Um, and like, no joke, I was like listening to it all weekend and just like bopping around to it. Love it so much. Um, and so we're going to play a clip from a song called Savage Good Boy. <laughs> uh, before we play it, though, um, and Coral's going to get that queued up, uh, just could you say a few words about what the sort of background on the, the song was? Sure, yeah. Um, I think I was just reading a news headline about billionaires buying bunkers, and I just thought that the alliteration was both funny and menacing. And um, I was just interested in exploring the perspective of a billionaire who's kind of rationalizing greed at this really high level, um, kind of coaxing a young woman to come live with him in his mm -hmm. bunker underground as, as the world sort of burns around them. And, you know, in his mind, he sounds very, like, it's a very rational thought. It, you know, it's, it's about survival. It's about playing the game. But I think that right, as right. you kind of present these facts, they sort of become uh, more menacing and, and evil uh, the further along it goes. Wow. Okay. That's actually, <laughs> that's so interesting to hear. And, and then, of course, if you watch the music video, the ending is pretty, it's pretty amazing. Um, so anyway, I, I won't spoil it for folks. They should watch the video. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, Coral, let's, let's play an excerpt from uh, Savage Good Boy. was Savage Good Boy by Japanese Breakfast, a.k.a. Michelle. Um, amazing, amazing song. And we're going to listen to another another tune from the from the new album. Um, but I wanted to make sure to we talked a bit about, of course, your book, um, which um, is called Crying in H Mart. And uh, Michelle, I know that you have been talking about this book a lot lately, and so um, I'm going to kind of sidestep some of the more like down the middle questions um, about the book. I think folks, if they want to learn more about it, um, there's been a lot of really wonderful interviews uh, talking about um, about the book. And um, I mean, in, in brief, I guess maybe could you just give people for those who aren't familiar with it at all the sort of like 
quick synopsis of, of what the book's about? Yeah, the book is called Crying in H Mart. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, H Mart is a supermarket chain that specializes in Korean groceries, but you can also find a lot of other sort of ethnic groceries there. And um, after my Korean mother passed away, I found myself visiting H Mart a lot uh, and crying there because it reminded me so much of her and my childhood. and. It became a real refuge for me in a way to sort of preserve that part of my culture and uh, her memory. And so the book is about learning how to cook Korean food in, in the wake of my mother's loss. Yeah, and it's it's just truly beautiful. Um, Thank you. And I have to say, um, the part that really resonated with me the most is this whole theme of thinking about especially you know the immigrant experience and thinking about your parents and for those who are lucky to have known their grandparents um their grandparents as these sort of cultural lifelines Hmm. i you know i grew up in the midwest so you know somewhat similar situation to eugene oregon where you grew up where i was i was in like no nameville illinois and not a lot of koreans around and you know i mean i grew up mostly wanting to just sort of fit in and my Korean's horrible. I don't really speak Korean. Um, I mean, it's funny, like, I do with my parents. Like, with my parents, I can have a whole conversation in our version of Korean. It's like, I speak, like, Kim family Korean, you know? Um, <laughs> like, of which there's, like, four speakers in the world, you know? Um, and, like, you know, outside of the context of my family, I honestly, I think, like, I, I, I have like mixed feelings about my Koreanness because, you know, I don't speak Korean. I don't haven't spent much time in Korea. I go to a Korean restaurant. My friends ask me, it's like, oh, is this the authentic, like real thing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like, I just know what I had in the Midwest with like the mm. weird, like improvised, you know, stuff that we would do. Right, eat. right. And so like truly like my entire Koreanness is like staked on my relationship with my harmony, my grandma, um, who passed away, rest in, in peace um, a while ago. Um, and my mom. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess I just wanted to um, get into that a little bit more and just think about, you know, how um, how has your sort of perception of your Koreanist, Koreanist changed since your mom's passing? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was I never, I don't know if I questioned my Koreanist because I was so preoccupied with my Americanness for so long. And it just felt like this inherent part of me that I never had to think much of because I wasn't confronted by it very often. And then when my mom passed away and I started thinking, will my kid never know this part of me now that she's not there unless I preserve it? Or do I lose this whole part of myself because she's not here anymore? I realized that if I wanted to interact with that part of myself and and this huge part of my history in general, just my personal history, that I was going to have to actively work to interact with it and preserve it and kind of go out of my way in this way to interact with it in a a way that I I had never had to think much about anymore. And that was really stressful. And I think it kind of manifested in learning how to cook these dishes and, uh, you know, trying to forge this relationship with my last remaining aunt and visit Korea and, and make sure that that was going to continue to be a part of my life. Yeah. 
absolutely. I mean, I have to say, and this is like like a, a, a weird thing. I actually don't really talk about too much, but I mean, I have this like very deep fear of my my parents uh, passing, and you know, they're they're older. Um, my uh, my mom is uh, seventy boy, turning seventy five this year, um, and my oh, dad's wow. about eighty, turning eighty four. Um, and you know, I do think a lot about um now just trying to really like I almost feel like I'm just really so like thirsty to just capture their cultural identity somehow you know I I, it's like I want to just keep recording oral histories with them and just like record videos of my mom cooking and you know um I think part of it's that like with my um my grandma, I remember thinking like I, one of my life goals was actually to learn Korean before she passed in order to be able I to. I have mine too, mine too. Yeah. Um, did you have a, like, yeah, do you have uh, Korean family members with whom you have a difficult time communicating because of the language barrier? Yeah, I mean, my, my aunt Nami, um, you know, it's tough because like both my mom's younger sister, Unmi, uh, and her both passed from GI cancers within just a couple of years of each other. Hmm. And I was actually really close to my Chaganimo because she was fluent in English and she studied English in college. And so, you know, whenever we went to Korea, she was always, uh, you know, it was always my mom or her translating. And then once both of them had passed away, uh, my Kunimo, my mom's older sister and I, uh, really struggled to connect. And it's so frustrating because I feel like this woman is like my last connection to my Korean family and also I have so much to say to her just like really complicated emotions uh and you know information and feelings and secrets that I you know you can't really express in body language in (laughs) Konglish you know it's like it's already hard enough to have those types of conversations when you're fluent and you're both fluent in the same language let alone uh, both of you um, not having this this major language barrier. So I remember when I was a kid, I would go to Korea every other summer and have this renewed interest in, you know, um, learning Korean because every Friday, like most Korean kids, I went to Hangul Hakyu at the mm. Korean church. And, you know, when you're a kid and you're in elementary school and then you have to go to school again on Friday when all of your friends are hanging <laughs> out and having sleepovers, you're just like, what the hell is this? Like, this <laughs> yeah. sucks. And so, like, my attention span was just, I was not having it, and I was miserable there, and, and I definitely acted out quite a bit and, and never really retained much. And every yeah. time I came back from Korea, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to, like, be, come back and be able to have a conversation with Hamani, and, um, yeah. you know, I'm going to focus on Korean school, and then, you know, maybe the first lesson back, you know, you're, like, kind of at attention, and then, you know, you quickly slip back into bad habits because, you know, you just want to get back to your life. Um, but, yeah, I had that again I have that again now and I and I kind of feel and I, I don't know if it's bad that I'm revealing this so often, but I, I do have this interest in writing another book about um, learning the language and documenting yeah. that experience for a couple of reasons. One being, you know, I don't think I'll ever do it if I don't make a project out of it. And so yeah. someday I would like to live in Korea for at least a year and document the experience of learning the language. Oh, yeah. Um, and the second is like, I feel like, you know, that's another part of, you know, the search for my identity and feeling of, of belonging is, is that, um, you know, the only way that I'll feel more connected to it and a, and a natural place where I left off, um, is, is, you know, the lack of language skills that I have. And also having written a memoir, so much of, of the difficulty of that is like 
searching your memory for material that if I were to just go over there and start a project about learning language, everything would be, you know, present, present day material that'd be pretty easy to harvest. Plus I have to say, I think Korean is a pretty amazing language, you know? Um, like I said, I mean, if you put me in like a random Korean restaurant in New York City and try to like have me talk my way through ordering, I'll just get a lot of like really like scornful looks. But <laughs> with my family, I'm like totally good. And I think one of the things I can still rock pretty well is the uh, Korean wine, you know, like, oh my, <laughs> like Korean whining is like on a whole nother level where you do that warble, you know what I mean? Totally. Um, Um, And uh, (laughs) I mean, the other thing I love about the Korean language is just the um, the uh, the really like uh, like almost like animal like noises you make when talking. Like the, (laughs) there we go. You did it, Jinx. Can we can we do like a (laughs) Jinx? Oh my god. Also, I feel like Korean people have this very aggressive way of like brushing their teeth where there's a lot of like really aggressive, like hawking of spit oh, yeah. like and phlegm like into oh the God. sink after they're done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my mom did that. I love it. I mean, I think it's just what a great way to really like emphasize something is to just rock that <laughs> sound. <you know? laughs> um, oh, I just, also love like yeah. when you take a shot. They're like, like like you're blowing out steam or something. Oh, I know. I know. And like, yeah. I mean, and like just the various expressions of surprise. Like, yeah, yeah. Of course. And then there's like the rapid fire. So Igo means like, (laughs) I don't know, like I'm tired. Like, uh, you know, and like, but the thing about Igo is if you say that the level of your tiredness is directly coordinated with the frequency at which you say it. So if you just say like, I go, you're like, okay, I'm a little tired. <laughs> but if you're like, I go, 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, when you're oh, getting up. I've, yeah. I've noticed that I've like, as I get older, I've like started to do that. Oh, yeah, the frequency is going up. Right, right, right. <laughs> or also, I feel like um, there's like, uh, when Korean people are talking to each other, there's this like constant like moaning affirmation that's like, oh, oh, oh. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It's a way. I think it's a good way to like socially connect while somebody's talking. It's like I'm listening. I'm here. I get it. You know. Um, totally. I love that. Did you? Um, did your mom ever talk to you about food that she ate growing up in in South Korea? Yeah, I mean, every time we went to the Korean grocery store, she would talk about how you know she had this food when she was growing up. And I mean, I think you know, for everyone imagining your parent at your age, especially like when you're younger is like this totally bonkers idea. Like (laughs) I I talk a little bit about it in the book in the beginning where, you know, my mom would introduce me to different snacks that she ate as a kid. And I was just like, you were a kid? Like, <laughs> like I can't, you, when did you eat snacks? I remember being like, you know, cause my mom didn't really, as you get older, I feel like you maybe snack less or at least like my mom did. And, uh, being just shocked that my mom used to eat like um, things out of bags. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> like she was so kind of like, she had this real like, uh, she was really she's kind of like sophisticated or like she, she had an elegance about her that yeah. imagining her like 
putting Changu like on her finger, like eating out of a bag was kind of like, you did, you did what? Like you made the Jollibong like spoon out of the plastic card and, and, and uh, ate this too. It was like really wild to me. Um, so yeah, I think I really connected to her like younger self in a way, like through the, the things that she would call out in, in the grocery store. And that was like, I think, you know, in writing this book, I realized such a natural reason why I, I sort of, fell into food as a, as a kind of comfort vehicle was, uh, it just made me feel connected to her. You know, it reminded me, it reminded me of, of those moments. And, and also that, you know, she really mm. rewarded me in a way. Uh, yeah. She really delighted in seeing me exhibit similar interests uh, as her one. You know, it was, a, it was her way, if I ate well and I ate Korean food, it was her way of thinking, that's my kid. Yeah, I know that totally. that's a Korean kid. Oh like a, man! Like an like an American kid wouldn't naturally like chotgal or like you know um, <laughs> these like funkier Korean things, but like my kid is all about it. Or like you know just little weird things. Like I didn't know if this line was going to fly, but I was talking to EJ Ko, who's another Korean American writer, and yeah. and she was saying there's a scene where I, I dip like a like a Korean pepper into tenjang, like just naturally without anyone telling me to do yeah, that, yeah. and my mom being like. That's like the old school way to eat it. Oh, That's yeah. my kid. You you get it, and no one even has to tell you. It's a natural thing uh, for you. And I was like, I don't know if people are gonna like get that. And that yeah. was something that she called out that I uh, was really comforted by because um, yeah, I think that was like a natural reason why I was just like I realized I was constantly being sort of rewarded by this type of behavior, and maybe subconsciously was what led me to to kind of seek comfort in it. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. Are there any dishes in particular that you and your mom particularly enjoyed making and eating together? What did we, you know, there are certain Korean foods that are like, or I guess in every, in, a, in most cultures, there are like certain foods that are real events, you know, like it, it really takes multiple people to do it. You know, I feel like kimbap is something that like, I remember my mom showing like me and my friends how to make like when we were younger because like if you're gonna do it it's best to make a lot of it because you're already oh, yeah. like preparing all of these like vegetables in this very particular way so it's better if everyone's involved and also making dumplings like i remember you know learning how to fold dumpling skins like really terribly and, like <laughs> uh you know just like the making a day out of stuff like that yeah. was really fun but i also you know i one thing i really love is like you know being in tune with this sounds really like woo woo, but like <laughs> being in tune with like the seasons or like mm -hmm. the earth and just like what it's telling you you want. Like the other day, it was like 92 degrees in New York, and I feel like every Korean was eating naengmyeon yesterday. Of course, <laughs> yeah. I was. I had naengmyeon. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I was like, I really want more naengmyeon right now, and like I saw my friend No, I was like eating pibing naengmyeon the other day, and I was like, oh my god, I feel like every Korean is eating oh, yeah. this dish right now, and I feel yeah. I like I love that kind of connective. Um, that feeling of connection that like the mm -hmm. like the season is bringing something in and that we're all like enjoying this thing together and my mom was sort of 
all about like everything it felt like a theme or like an yeah. event and i really love that aspect of eating um you know every time the the it was nice enough to eat outside she'd bring the butane burner outside and we would um you know grill samgyeopsal and you know we mm. you know have the sam or like we'd have kalbi and and it was just like such a fun thing that we could like do together and look forward to and associate with the season or I remember every time that it was a rainy rainy day, we would make sujebi, like these kind of hand-torn uh, noodles um, in like a seaweed broth. I guess it's like kind of like a dashi or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I remember like my mom would like make... My mom's dough, though, is like not like any other Korean's dough. It was like definitely like a lot wetter. And yeah. I remember like making like these like grossly shaped little... It's kind of like a Korean gnocchi almost. Um, yeah. Uh, I remember like, you know, when you're, it's like a fun, messy thing to do as a kid to like pinch the dough off together into the soup and, and eat it on a rainy day. So yeah. I always remember stuff like that. Uh, what you're saying, everything you're saying is just like really underscores for me why I, and I'm obviously heavily biased here. I just think Korean food is the best. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you why though. I mean, I think, you know, people always talk about Italian cuisine as being this like ingredient forward cuisine, which it is. Um, but to me, like Korean cuisine has it on another level because all of our like side dishes are single ingredient dishes, right? It's like, and the name of the dish is like the name of the vegetable. Like if you're eating spinach, it's like shigimchi, you know, that's just what it is. Mm. And then if it's zucchini, it's just hobak. It's just, that's the word for it. And like all of the dishes on the, it's like, it's so easy i find to take korean cuisine and to work with what's in the market and to like turn mm. the season into like dishes on the table and on top of that what i also find really compelling about korean food is you know how like when you get in the groove of making korean food it's like you have your tupperware containers you bring them out all the like side dishes and they go back in the refrigerator yeah 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 you kind of like add a new a new side dish but you bring out the old ones and you maybe like add a soup but then like you know finish the old soup and then like it's just kind of like this uh constant evolution of like mm. leftovers plus like new stuff yeah 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 yeah. Um, that is really lovely and, and i like that because it's just it's uh there's this kind of like dance between you know the food that you ate yesterday and even a few days ago and maybe even like you know longer than that um and like this, what's coming in and it's it's it can like kind of roll with like changing um things that are available or seasons and so um yeah, plus, of course, like, you know, you're talking about the, like the old kimchi, like the kimchi. It's, everything is like moving with time, like the, the, the pickles, everything is like changing. You know, your kimchi today is like going to be really different two months from now. Mm. Um, so there's a certain or- organic sort of like evolution and dance to the cuisine that I find really beautiful um, that I appreciate. But also, you know, I also I think love just, that, uh, like everyone can create a totally different bite from what's on the table. And that's right. why I feel like. Korean moms are always like yelling at you to eat in a certain way because they're like, no, 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 like this is the best way. Oh, yes. uh, they're always like bothering you to eat it in a specific method or like everyone feels like everyone has a different way they make their like some barbecue oh, yeah. or like, you know, a bite is going to taste totally different if you eat the meat with like a one banchan or two banchan or a different sauce with the garlic. You know, there's always like different formations for it. And I feel like there's. I don't know if you have this problem, but like every time I go to a restaurant, it's really hard for me to just order one dish because I'm like, well, I want to like have all these like interactive bites or if like if I eat pizza, I always have to have like a pickled pepper on the side or if I eat a sandwich. I always like there's always like some kind of like tart 
spicy substitute like on the side that I feel yeah, yeah. like I I need to have. Oh yeah. Are you like one thing that I don't like though that I don't get is like if you go to a Korean uh, like an Italian restaurant in Korea, they'll serve <laughs> um, a side of pickle like sweet pickles <laughs> if you order pizza or spaghetti, which I find yeah. totally bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look. I mean. My first memory of eating sort of Italian-esque food in, in Korea was like when I was 12, so a long time ago. Um, and I remember having pizza there. And it was, oh, yeah, pizza. It was like, I don't know how it is today, but back then it was like ketchup on this like really flavorless <laughs> dough on with like peas and corn on it. and Oh, like yeah, they American love putting kind of corn on yeah. pizza. Yeah, and I was like, ugh. I mean, yeah, it's just not... <laughs> Stick with, stay in your lane. It's basically like what I say to those <laughs> folks. <laughs> um, um, but I did want to just give a note to when you talk about Sam. And to me, I mean, to, at least from my experience as a Korean American, Sam is at the heart of like the way my family eats. I mean, like we always have a, like a, a bowl full of like lettuce on the table. Mm. But um, I always find it funny when I have non-Korean friends over and they do they make Sam. And... What do you think, like, the biggest, most common error folks make is when they make some with lettuce? No, oh, I don't know. What oh, do it's, do? like, overloading I, uh, The thing it. is, it's, oh, overloading it. Oh, my God. I see so many people try to, like, just, like, put, like, so much in there, and then just, like, you Wait. watch the trepidation as it goes towards their mouth, and then they take a bite, and the whole thing disintegrates. Maybe I've <laughs> never seen it because I'm, like, very involved in helping. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wait, what is your some, like, combo? Like my sam ideal. combo is yeah. I like to, you know what so I like to keep it pretty simple. So for me, dream sam combo is like you know fatty meat, whether that's kalbi or you know whatever, um, and then samjang, and yeah. just a little dollop of rice and like just a little kimchi in there for the acidity. And oh, that's like to that, me that's perfect. That's yeah, it. yeah. I like um, I like red leaf kal like a little bit of rice. Kalbi dredged in like samjang, and then I like thinly sliced garlic on the inside. Ooh. But if it's pork belly, I have to run it through the sesame oil, salt, and, and pepper. But it's like pretty much the same combo after that. And I've That's recently pretty. trained myself to like genim, like the sesame leaf. Mm. I used to really, or the perilla leaf, I, perilla I used leaf. to really not like that taste, and it made me feel like I wasn't. Yeah, it's a very particular Korean. taste. Yeah. And so I trained myself to get into it, and now I, I do like it. Yeah, oh, that's great. Um, I have some either-or questions for you, Michelle. So um, I want you to tell – I'm going to give you two options. You can tell me which one you prefer. <laughs> All right, so first one is tteokbokki, um, which is, you know, this, like, spicy rice cake dish, or tteokguk, which is a rice cake soup. Oh, that's really hard, but I think I think tteokbokki. Okay, okay. Um, I know tteokbokki is hot right now, but I feel like I have, you know, when it's like cold out, or like what would we eat for New Year's? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, all right, I have one that's a little cheeky. Japanese breakfast or Korean breakfast? Oh, Korean breakfast. <laughs> But here's the here's the follow up question to that: What is Korean breakfast? Because I still haven't figured that out. <laughs> I think it's just like for me, it's just like rice and coop, you know, like yeah. rice and soup, like a jigae or something. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that 
we had some time to listen to another track from Jubilee, which I love. And um, it's a song called Be Sweet. And uh, I actually just love the same thing. Would love to hear just some background on what the thinking was behind the song. Sure. I wrote the song. This is probably the first song that I wrote for this record on, uh, without thinking about it. I was in L.A. and my publishing or my label um, connected me with Jack Tatum of the band Wild Nothing. And your label will mm. do this tricky thing sometimes where they basically set you up on a blind date to try to, um, you know, get more <laughs> publishing money out of you. And so they'll say, oh, Michelle, like Jack from Wild Nothing loves Japanese breakfast. He needs help writing his new record. Like, and he thinks you can help him. And I was like, great, I'll help him write his record. And similarly, they were like, Jack, Michelle from Japanese Breakfast loves Wild Nothing. She's writing a new record. She needs help. Like, will you help her? <laughs> and so we both got to the studio and we're like, so I'm here to help you with your record. And we were both like, I'm not writing a record. What are you talking about? I thought I was helping you. Um, so the two of us were just like, I guess we should just write a pop song and like maybe we can sell it um, to some, you know, like teenager or something and, and make some royalty points off of it. And I came in with this synth lead line and uh, had this lyric in mind that was just like, I think because I was writing for someone else, I was like going for a more like sassy diva uh, that I wouldn't normally channel. And there's this Raymond Carver yeah. story called Tell the, Tell the Women We're Going. And so I, I inverted that for the first line uh, and I, I wrote, you know, tell the men I'm coming. And I was just like, who would say that? What kind of like sassy Ooh. woman would say that? Um, and I just channeled her into the night, you know, <laughs> and that's how that song wow. kind of came together. It's basically like a, a sassy woman telling a man off. Yeah. I love it. And, you know, it's funny um, what the song made me think of instantly when I listened to it. Uh, have you watched the show uh, Black Mirror on Netflix? I've watched a couple episodes. I... Kinda Have you seen the episode show, called? To be honest. Oh yeah, it's a little scary. Uh, but there's one episode that well, is. Well, no, I like some of it, but like, sorry, go ahead. Well, there's one episode that is a little more, um, not so bleak, and it's called it's, it's episode San Junipero. Did you have, happen to see that one? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've okay. seen, I've seen. That I mean, one, I feel yeah. like you know, I'm not gonna spoil it for folks. Who I have do not like seen that episode, one. but no, that is the color palette for sure. Yeah, and I mean, to me, like that episode is what it's about is. Um, and this won't really spoil anything for anybody, but it's about timeless love, really. Um, and <laughs> to me, like listening to "Be Sweet," it's like it sounds a little cheesy, but like it makes me think of timeless love. And um, oh, Peter, <laughs> I love it. So um, I guess with that, um, Coral, I don't know if you could tee up an excerpt from "Be Sweet."
Sorry, there's like fireworks going off in my neighborhood right now. Um, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> but that was be sweet. It's just um, timeless love happening around you. Timeless here. love happening everywhere. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, God. Um, but uh, what an amazing track. Um, it's just, it's so perfect. The whole album is so perfect. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely recommend everybody go and check out Jubilee as soon as possible. Thank you so much. Um, so I wanted to close out by asking you a question that I ask every one of my guests who comes on Counter Jam, and it goes as follows. So let's imagine you are stuck on a deserted island, and you can only eat one Korean dish for the rest of your life on that island. What would it be? Kimchi jjigae. It's so quick. Love it. It definitely is like kimchi stew is like my comfort food uh, forever, yeah. forever and always when I go on a long tour and I come yeah. home or if I'm hung over or like, you know, I just need something to stabilize me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, basically my Korean breakfast is like a really funky kimchi jjigae with white rice and like a really runny um egg like egg on rice mm. those two things like all of those three things like working together is like by far my favorite my favorite oh food. yeah i could i don't think i could ever get tired of that dish <laughs> me neither me neither <laughs> i mean i i i tell people that i can go from zero to kimchi in a shockingly short amount of time <laughs> in the morning it's like wake up that's our body stretch. our biology kimchi, ready to go yeah yeah totally. <laughs> you know a lot of folks they need to like kind of ease in their palate into the day and for me it's like no no no. like i go straight into it but i think that's um, like asian culture in general we just like it's like dinner now <laughs> yes i'm absolutely. ready for my morning dinner okay so i have to ask you then how do you make your kimchi jjigae okay um i've gotten like pretty I have like my thing, I guess. I will, I, so I like to start with like a pat of butter and then uh, some thinly chopped onions, mm. really funky kimchi. It's kind of nice because H Mart sells like aged kimchi, like three month old yeah. kimchi, and it has to be aged kimchi in order for it oh, to yeah. taste good. Um, oh, and yeah. then I'll toss that around with some fatty pork belly, water, tofu. Gochugaru. And the secret is like a little dollop of um, tenjang. Like Ooh, Korean. Yeah, I like that. I don't want to like isolate everyone, but like, yeah, it's like Korean. It's basically like Korean miso. It's like fermented soybean paste. That's like the, yeah. that's the umami. I would say denjang to me has like a lot of really interesting flavors though that miso. I like miso too, but I'm, a, I'm definitely a denjang. It's funkier. It's yeah, saltier. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I feel like most people are surprised to find that I don't put gochujang in my kimchi jjigae, mm. but I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, no, I, I don't put it in mine either. The thing I do like to do... Yeah, tell me I your like... secrets. Oh, my secrets. <laughs> I would say... I don't what I like secrets. to do is put a dollop of tahini. <laughs> <laughs> really just need oh, to add those fats. Just... Oh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Mozzarella cheese. Is dropping in um, so, um, <laughs> no, the two things I'd say I do that maybe not everybody does. Uh, one is I use bacon. And, oh, whoa. Um, Weird. So, yeah, bacon Peter, is no. a really... Yes, it's, it's <laughs> very, very good in kimchi. Oh, look. Hey, that's hold up. That's All right. crazy. 
It's too smoky. This, oh, it, it's it's so good. It's good. Just just give it a whirl. Okay. Um, okay. Um, and then second uh, is um, I like to dope my jjigae um, at the end with kimchi juice. Oh yeah, you gotta so, do the kimchi juice. Yeah, yeah, Essential. but I like it to be uncooked. So I like to oh. know that some of it's still. I like to know that some of it's still alive when I'm eating it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's a little weird, but like yeah, that's smart. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do it like really at the very end, and it's still got that really like raw Shark. garlic yeah, tinge yeah. to it. Oh, um, that's a good idea. That's yeah, smart. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's that's those are really all. I mean, otherwise, I feel like kimchi jjigae kind of like it's it's got a really warm embrace that pretty much takes anything in. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, no, and honestly, like, jjigae, kimchi jjigae is, like, the dish that probably connects my mom and me the most, too. Mm. I mean, like, she she loves watching me make kimchi jjigae, and I love watching her make it, and then we love just, like, trying each other's, um, it's definitely, like, the thing that we make for each other whenever we see each other, so. Does know, she like yours? Is yours different? She loves it. She's open-minded about bacon, interestingly enough. And she's 70, <laughs> 75 years old. Wow. Uh, <laughs> no, she does like it. She does like it. She's like, Peter, um, tahini no soya. There you go. There you go. Uh, Michelle, I want to thank you so much for coming on for this uh, live taping of Counter Jam. I want to thank everybody for joining us, and I want to thank Food Fifty Two, Coral Lee, um, and the whole team for helping us put this on. And for everybody out there, listen to Jubilee by Japanese Breakfast, read the book Crying in H Mart, and get ready for I guess the movie. Right? That was like exciting news you yeah, today. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, thank you, thank you so so much, Michelle. I really really appreciate. Um, the opportunity to speak with you. Thanks, Peter. Thank you guys so much for having me.